everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW show where we go over all the biggest events of the week. Oh, man, where do you even start with this week? I mean, do we even get into the Javi Martinez interview? No, no, we are not. We are not going on the dong watch anytime soon here on the weekend warm-up. We might dive into a lot of things. We are not going that deep into the locker room, so we will leave that with the podcast that Javi appeared on. What the hell was that guy thinking and doing what he did? Oh, God, what a headache. Anyway, let's get back to the Bayern Munich real business, and there was plenty to talk about this week. I mean, this had to be one of the more newsworthy weeks uh, that I can remember. And it was just because of the sheer magnitude of the reports that we saw come out and just how they are really just linked to what could be club changing kind of ramifications that could occur just based on some of these changes that might happen. So we're going to walk through all of those. We're going to hit our normal segment breakdown, which is the the five things we learned this week. And that's how we're going to go through it. And what better place to start than with the report that Julian Nagelsmann is going to be transitioning to a back three as soon as he has the personnel to make it happen. And, you know, this is something that we had been speculating on for a while. I think it's something that a lot of people had thought when Bayern Munich hired Nagelsmann, that this was always going to be a possibility. And, you know, I've been one of those people that have said, you know, if you hire a coach, you have to let him implement his own system and coach the way he wants to coach. That way you are getting the best out of him. And this has really been met with a lot of resistance from Byron fans. And, and I get that part of it. I absolutely do. And I'm listen, as much as I'm saying, let the coach be the manager and make those decisions. I understand that Bayern Munich has a long and rich history using a 4 2 3 one I understand that it is a winning system and I back that I do. I think it is a winning system. I think it's perfect for the club, but when you invest as much as Bayern Munich did in Julian Nagelsmann, you have to let that manager implement a system. And I think what we saw with Carlo Ancelotti and and the way he deviated and went to more of a four, three, three, which I mean, while very similar, it didn't exactly work out and led to his ouster. Uh, when we saw Nico Kovac begrudgingly use a 4-2-3-1 or variants of it and not really be able to manage the way that he wanted to, he couldn't handle that either. It was just, it was very difficult to watch him struggle through a system that he was not really comfortable in, in laying out and using the players in. So um, I do think that, you know, Byron's inability to be flexible with those coaches in the past probably did not give them the best opportunity for success. And I think the club probably learned a little bit from that. Ultimately, you can't complain with the way things shook out with Ancelotti and Kovac, because eventually it all did lead to Hansi Flick taking over and winning that sextuple. And Flick, of course, used a 4-2-3-1, a very aggressive version of it, but a 4-2-3-1 nonetheless, and while some of the cast of characters uh, is is different from back then, uh, it's interesting to see how this has all evolved and how Nagelsmann views the roster and what he wants to do with it. And, and this whole movement to this back three, while I fully expected it, 
uh, I know a lot of Byron fans are unhappy about it, and, and I totally understand it. And we have a strong segment in BFW, not just in the staff, but in the community as well, who, who really feel like moving to a back three won't work. It's back three is a system that can't ultimately succeed on the big stage. And I, I think there's at least some merit to that when it comes to Bayern Munich. Uh, you know, there are obviously examples of back threes working at other clubs, but it comes down to this in my mind. Do you trust Julian Nagelsmann enough to let him imprint his mark on the club? Or are you still so wary that you think the club needs to take a step in and tell Nagelsmann what he needs to run? And, and I think that there's a, a, a big split here among the fan base and what people think Bayern Munich should do and how they should approach this. Anyone that's followed Nagelsmann through Hoffenheim or RB Leipzig knows that that back three system was probably always going to happen. This whole you know, hybrid formation that we saw earlier in the season. It was really just a covering for how he wants to play. The biggest part of the report from Sport One that I saw is that as soon as he gets the personnel to do this, he's going to make it happen. And right now, what's holding him back is not really having a right wing back. And there's been some discussion as to what the difference is between a wing back and an outside back. And in all reality, it's it's not much. A wing back is, is a position that's going to have a little more offensive responsibility than a normal right back would have in a back four formation. That's, that's essentially it. And it, it, the, obviously the biggest difference between the back three and the back four is the addition of the center back into the defensive back line. So um, th- this is something that I think a lot of fans are going to struggle with. I don't know how Bayern Munich is going to approach things this offseason. Obviously, getting a, a right wing back at this point is not going to happen. It's not going to really rise from within the organization. So Bayern's going to have to likely go out and spend some money. And we've seen we've seen the club already linked to players like Serginho Dest, who certainly could fit that profile as a right wing back. But is he good enough to actually be a starter on a team like Bayern Munich? I'm not so sure about that at this point. We've seen Jeremy Toljan uh, linked to Bayern Munich. We've seen Rydal Baku. I mean, these are all names that are great in theory. How likely they are to be uh, acquired this summer remains to be seen. And what price might be on the head of those players remains to be seen. Uh, Just Baku alone has been rumored to have a a transfer fee of more than $20 million for, for for Wolfsburg, even to consider letting him go. Uh, Dest, we've seen anywhere from 20 to 30 million. So I, I don't know if that is a worthwhile investment, uh, but it's something that Bayern Munich is probably going to have to do. But what this all really makes me question, and it's something that I've said before, is how aligned is the coaching staff with the sporting staff? Because when I see this situation, I see Bayern Munich, they just inked. Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich to long-term contracts. They're planning on moving Jamal Musiala back into a central midfield role, which is something we're going to hit on in just a few minutes. And they also re-upped Kingsley Coman and Leroy Sané and are in negotiations with Serge Gnabry, which is another subject we'll touch on. If there is, if there is not complete alignment between the coaching staff and the sporting side of things, it makes me wonder like how this is all going to play out. And while Sané has certainly done well in his role as more of an attacking midfielder this year, 
I'm not so sure long-term that Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry are a great fit in that role. I think they are more uh, more of a, the type of player that fits better as a wing. And I know Gnabry has a pretty significant history of being able to play centrally, but I haven't seen that this year. He's looked more uncomfortable than ever. And whether that's because he's been asked to play uh, a wing back at times or whether he's been pushed inside to play attacking midfielder at times, I don't know if that's kind of set his game back a little bit. But he is certainly not a player that looks comfortable operating in this kind of system. So why would you invest in wings like Sané and Coman? And obviously you get a pass on Sané because he was acquired before Nagelsmann took over. But it makes me really question why you would want to ink Coman long term if you're going to eventually shift to a formation that's not going to use him as a wing. So I'm you know, a little skeptical about things. And while I support Nagelsmann being able to implement the system that he thinks will work. And I think the coach should have that freedom. I, I will not be shocked if there is ultimately uh, major issues that occur. And if there is an uprising in the fan base over this, because it is a really divisive subject, but it looks like it's something that we are going to see formally rolled out over the summer. Oh, what a mess, right? So let's touch on that Jamal Musiala news as, as our second point here. So Musiala, we had seen the reports rise up last week that he that Bayern Munich was really considering moving him into a central midfield role and that Nagelsmann sees him as a player that can help dictate the pace of the game, slow it down when needed. And, and I don't doubt Musiala can do something like that. He is a phenomenal talent, great footwork, good vision. He is, I'm not saying he is capable of being, being Tiago Alcantara, but he is a player who has untapped and unlimited potential at this point. So we don't really know what he could be. I've always kind of viewed Musiala as this attacking presence that would fit in as a wing, as an attacking midfielder, as a secondary secondary striker. I think he's just got that attacking mentality. Uh, The reports that we saw this week indicate that Musiala is is accepting of this change and that the club has approached him with it. Uh, and that he thinks he can be successful this way, which is a great attitude to have if you were him. My question when I look at this, is it the right move for the kid, especially if you're using a, a what will be a 3-4-2-1 or a 3-5-2 where he could fill an attacking mid role, midfield role alongside Thomas Muller at times? It, is it something that's great for him in the long run? Will he be able to make this transition successfully and be that type of player that Bayern Munich thinks he can be? And what the hell happens now with Yashua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka? We've seen the midfield actually come under some criticism this week because there is no player that is uh, has really been able to slide into that role of Tiago, where you know the the now Liverpool man was able to really dictate the pace of the game for Bayern Munich. Uh, I think a lot of us assumed that Yashua Kimmich would be able to step into that role, but for whatever reason this year, Kimmich has been a roller coaster. I think he has been a lot more offensive minded than, uh, than anyone probably would have foreseen and has not really been that defensive presence sitting deeper and, and really orchestrating the pace of play and the direction of play. He hasn't been that player, which I thought that's where he was headed And it's not that that is a knock on Kimmich because he brings so many other things to the pitch. Granted, this has not been a great year for him, but he is still an immense talent. I just don't know if he's truly going to evolve into that type of player. And does Bayern Munich look at Kimmich and say, listen, we don't think he can be that for us, so we're going to use Musiala there? 
maybe that's the case. But if that happens in Musiala, the plan for him is to, to get him into that role and maybe the slide can make up. What happens to Leon Goretzka? Again, I question whether the sporting side of things and the coaching staff are really simpatico with all of this because if you just inked Kimmich to a long-term deal and you just inked Goretzka to a long-term deal and those players are up in the top tier of your pay scale, you're now going to take a top talent like Musiala and push him into the same position that they're playing. While I understand the theory behind what they're doing, the practicality of it doesn't make much sense to me. I get that Goretzka is oft injured. He needs you need another midfielder there to fill in when he's not there, but is Musiala going to be happy just being a backup at that point? And worse, what if Musiala takes over the starting role? Will Goretzka be happy being a backup? I can't see that. The one thing we know about Goretzka is that he is a player who does a lot of great things. I don't think sitting on the bench would be one of them. Okay. I think that he would take that as a, as a major insult, and I don't think he would tolerate it. So this is going to be an interesting situation to play out. Again, I don't know that I fall fully in line with with this move. I, I still think Musial is a great attacker and would be better in that role. But what do I know? Yeah, I guess this is a this is really a case where Bayern Munich fans are going to have to trust the coaching staff, trust the sporting side of this, and really hope that they are working together because this is another situation where if it doesn't work out you're not only setting back one of your top prospects one of your top young players in Musiala but you could alienate two of your key core veterans in Kimmich and Gretzka in the process this is a really fascinating situation we'll have to see how it plays out but man this is not uh this is not good (laughs) at least in my eyes I guess it's good to see Musiala you know, that the club has the uh, faith in him to be able to make this kind of change. But I think this could be a misuse of his talent and that it could alienate some of the veterans in the process. <laughs> so well, all this good news so far. And this next bit might be good news for you or it might not. So we did see uh, a loose report. And I always say loose when it comes to Erling Haaland's because there have been so many reports we don't know exactly what's true and what's not but with Holland we saw that Bayern Munich is one of the five teams set to be competing with him and have allegedly made an offer so Paris Saint-Germain Real Madrid Manchester City and FC Barcelona are all the clubs that have reportedly submitted an offer for Erling Holland and, and of course no financial details have come out but it looks more and more like Haaland's time at Borussia Dortmund is coming to an end. And that's uh, it's unfortunate for the Bundesliga, but it could be very fortunate for any of those aforementioned five clubs. Bayern's inclusion in this list is interesting because the front office and certain, uh, I guess, emeritus alumni have, have come forward and, and talked openly about how getting Haaland doesn't work and how Bayern's not pursuing him. It's unrealistic, blah, blah, blah. Yet every time we see Haaland rumors, we see Bayern linked to him. So I do think that there is at least some little speck of truth to these rumors that Bayern Munich is interested because who the hell wouldn't be interested in Holland? Whether or not Bayern is really a finalist for Holland is, is really the question here. And can we see that? I don't know. I don't know if Byron is ready to make that kind of commitment, but 
Again, if Nagelsmann is going to shift to a back three formation, it does leave open the possibility of using two strikers. It does leave open the possibility of maybe even sitting Robert Lewandowski into it in an attacking midfielder role with Thomas Muller. Now, I'm not saying I endorse that. I'm saying these are the types of possibilities we could see if Bayern Munich actually inks, somehow inks Erling Haaland to a deal, which again, while I think it would be a great move for the club, I it's very, to me, unrealistic that it could happen. I have long theorized that I think Erling Haaland wants to play for Bayern Munich just based on things I've read and seen. It's my own tinfoil hat theory. It might not be true. But if it were to happen, I could see Nagelsmann really using his scientific brain, his strategic brain to find a way to make it work with Lewandowski and Holland at the same time. Yes, two strikers at the same time, just like Lawrence from Office Space would say. Uh, so let's just think about that for a second. If this is all true and Bayern Munich really is angling to bring in Holland, does that alienate Lewandowski? Does Lewandowski then ramp up his own uh, efforts to leave Bayern Munich, which have been rumored, but again, it just seems like you know it works for all parties to bring him back to Bayern Munich on another extension, probably through 2025. This will all be interesting to see play out. I just think this is a matter of timing more than anything. If Lewandowski had shown a dip in form, if he had shown that he had lost a step, I think absolutely Bayern Munich would be making a full court press to Erling Haaland. I don't think at this point Bayern is making that kind of effort, but I do think they're staying engaged. I think that they realize that there is a chance that Lewandowski could leave. I think that they know that Haaland is the future of the striker position in the world. And I think that he's such a dynamic talent that you have to be engaged with him. So we'll see what happens with that. But the reports are out there. Obviously, some of those other clubs like PSG, for example, would be able to offer a better financial package than what Bayern could. But, you know, if my theory's right and Haaland wants to play for Bayern Munich, we could potentially see him take a cut take less money to make that happen. And maybe Nagelsmann could concoct a way to use all of that talent on the field at the same time. But man, it is, it would be an overload of offensive talent in Munich, which would absolutely uh, probably piss off a lot of players because just playing time, there's only so much of it. And you have so many big ego, big salaried players. I can't see Bayern Munich at this stage making that kind of move just based on how the squad has been put together. So that's something we're, we're definitely going to keep an eye on that because that would be enormous news, no matter where he goes, whether it's Bayern Munich or Madrid or anywhere else, uh, hopefully not city, because that would probably put them over the top to be a dominant force for years to come. But uh, you know, we're definitely going to be following that one and uh, it will be very interesting to see how it shakes out. Uh, The next thing we learned this week is that Bayern Munich is shifting its philosophy and could turn into a selling club, which that has been something that the club and that its fans have really hung a hat on for years now that Bayern Munich, they go out, they develop talent. They do not just bring people in, have them play a couple of years and sell them. They look for long-term solutions and commitments from players and reciprocal commitments to those players from the club. Things could be changing, and I'm not sure how fans are going to take that. 
But I do think that there is a significant possibility that we're going to see Bayern Munich begin to really examine ways to develop youngsters and then sell them off for profit. I do think Bayern Munich could be ready to invest in some younger players and then subsequently look to sell them off as well after a couple of years. This is something that is, you know, it's a philosophy, buy low, sell high, right? And I, you know, it's one of those things where I think the club is going to have to evolve to stay competitive in Europe. They obviously don't have the television rights deal that some of the uh, other leagues really benefit from, like the Premier League, of course. And if you want to stay competitive in Europe, it's going to have to take some change. And if it means Bayern Munich has to shift its philosophy a little bit to sell young players and, you know, not make, uh, not exactly have the expectations that every signing is going to be a career Byron player. I think that's going to have to happen. And two, two of the things that really stuck out from the kicker report that we saw was Byron's future vision for the squad was to have 13 to 14 starting caliber players, which makes sense, right? You would obviously seek to have one midfielder, one attacker, and one defender as being starting caliber players at a minimum on your bench. So that you could rotate effectively so that if there's an injury, you have a, a, still have a strong starting lineup. That number to me makes sense. The next number would be three to four good players who could be quality and uh, who could be quality dependable backups, right? So that makes sense too. veteran guys who are there to provide stability, who can provide the leadership that can help develop young players. You want that type of veteran presence on the squad but those players must have the requisite quality to be able to perform when called upon. Makes sense. The next thing we saw was three to four young players that have quote unquote special potential. And that makes also makes sense because at this point, we're not seeing enough young players trickle into the squad at Bayern Munich. And I think that that is one area where the club has really missed in the last couple of years, where I think some other uh, organizations in Europe, they're just doing it a little bit better and in integrating those young players. Right now, we're getting a dose of Paul Vonner, even though he has not had a lot of playing time yet. Uh, it's good that he was promoted to this level. But Byron does have some talents over the that, that are currently on campus that could make that jump. We just saw Gabriel Vidovich uh, extend his contract to 2025. So that would indicate he's going to get bumped up next year and be one of those three to four young players with special potential. Where does Josip Stanisic fit? Is he a quality dependable backup or is he a young player with special potential? I don't know. He might be someone who fits in between those things, which would make him the odd man out and something like this. Uh, This is just, it's fascinating to me. and, And I don't think that it's the wrong philosophical move to make as much as everyone likes to pride themselves on not being a selling club. Revenue has to be generated from somewhere. Byron has taken a hit now. This is the third season in a row that they face some kind of restrictions or some kind of some kind of issue, right? So uh, there has to be some adjustment made. And if this is it, I think that it's okay. I think that once Byron fans get over the initial shock of turning into a selling club, it'll be okay. The other interesting parts of the report were that Byron Munich is looking for partners to help develop their younger players. So Austria Klagenfurt is one of of the clubs that Bayern Munich is looking to partner with so that they can send their young players there to get first team experience in a very competitive league. 
It was also within the report that Bayern Munich is going to look for a partner in Belgium as well, which is another interesting place. It's a good spot to get those young players first team experience in a competitive league without overwhelming them. So this is all to me, something that makes sense. It's a strategic move. It's a vision for the future and it's a pathway forward. Can it actually happen? We'll see. The final part of that report and that that caught my eye, and this is something that I think some sentimental Bayern fans probably won't like, is that the club is pretty much looking at international signings now. Players like Frank Ribery, Arjen Robin, or even Robert Lewandowski is probably a thing of the past. And not that they won't pursue those players, they will. But when they do pursue those players, they're not expecting them to become keystone figures within the club. Unfortunately, it seems like Bayern Munich has started the shift to more of an American sports philosophy, where here in the United States, we when when our teams sign a player, it almost feels like we're looking at a one-term kind of deal these days, where after a player's first contract, they're hitting the free agent market and they're probably going to move on and take the best deal. It doesn't always work out that way, obviously, but it is a change in philosophy for Bayern Munich, and it is going to take some fans a little while to get used to. What I do think is that it could, in the end, uh, take away some of that loyalty factor that Bayern Munich has always been able to get out of its players, right? So they have been able to leverage that loyalty and leverage that bond that the club makes with the players to get them to accept lesser salaries on occasion. And if that's not there, it will be very interesting to see how things play out and how Byron can retain talent moving forward. So that is another fascinating story this week. We we had so many. And then the last one that I'll touch on is kind of crazy because it's a little relative to the transfer talk that we just had with Holland. And it's that Marcel Sabitzer's future is, is really in question at this point. And I'll tie into other players who we might see as having questionable futures at Bayern Munich. And we'll discuss all three here relatively quickly. So not only is Sabitzer's future on shaky ground with Bayern Munich, but Quentin Taliso reports came out this week that he wanted a 16 million euro per season salary, which is completely and utterly laughable that he would even request that. If, if that story was true, it's just insane to me that a player that has been injured so much and has been so inconsistent would come in demanding that type of salary from Bayern Munich. To me, if it's true, that was an agent just taking a shot saying like, listen, we know your midfield is banged up. My guy can come in and be, you know, the band-aid in any situation you have. The problem with that is that Tolisso is always banged up himself. So I don't know how Tolisso or his agent could really even look at submitting an offer to Bayern Munich for 16 million per season and think that was ever going to be reasonable or realistic. It's just crazy to me. And that is nuts. And that, that does tie into where we're going with Marcel Sabitzer here. We've seen that Jamal Musiala is probably making that, that move into the central midfield with Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich already there. I think you look at a player like Sabitzer as someone who's probably going to have to move on this summer. And it's so crazy to think that because I was super excited when the club signed him. I was one of those people that was pumped up. I still didn't see how he was going to fit. And I had doubts that he would be happy. But man, I never think that you pass up on a talent like that when you have a coach like Nagelsmann who's creative, who has experience working with the player and who would seemingly know how to get the best out of him. It has not worked out. Sabitzer has 
has not been good with Bayern Munich. And, and I, I think, and I, I've said it a million times, it's down to he can't be the beta here. He needs to be an alpha. He's that type, type of player. He needs to be in the starting lineup. He needs to be engaged. He needs to feel like he has an important role in the team. He has none of those things right now. He's not engaged. He does not have an important role in the team. He has not made the most of those moments when he's been used. It's really sad to watch such a good player suffer like this and really struggle while on the pitch. I think for all the parties involved, for Bayern Munich, for Sabitzer, he needs to move on. And that's unfortunate because I had a lot of high hopes for him. So when you look at Tolisso and his laughable situation with that contract, man, you look at Sabitzer as a player who, you know, looked like he was going to come in and be a good fit and have a role and unfortunately does not. It leads me to look at the other contract situation going on, Serge Gnabry, and wonder, does he have a role going forward and should Bayern Munich sell him? With Gnabry and this whole thought process that Julian Nagelsmann is going to shift to a back three, would Gnabry, what kind of role would he have? Is he that important to sign right now? Do you need another player in the 15 million plus euro salary range that will absolutely be an issue? Uh, Not just from a budget standpoint, but where do you play him? He's going to expect to play. I don't know. This is, to me, this is one of those very intriguing situations where the coaching staff and the sporting director and all of the, the people that are involved with the sporting decisions and the vision of the club and where it's going are going to have to put their heads together. Because if Nogglesman is going to use a 3-5 or 3-5-2 or 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-1-2, whatever it is, a back three formation, I don't know where Gnabry is going to fit. I don't know that there's going to be enough playing time for him. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble seeing it right now. And to me, if the club's going to retain Lewandowski, if they're going to retain Muller, if they're going to have Sané as an attacking midfielder and they're going to be using a a back three, I'm struggling to see how Bayern is going to make all of these topics we've talked about come together and mold. I'm just not seeing it at this point. So I'm really now finally seeing some light here with Gnabry and these negotiations that haven't panned out. And again, this is another player that's going to want 15 million plus. I'm starting to doubt whether things are going to be able to be worked out, but worse, if they are worked out, I don't know how it's going to be feasible for the club to keep him happy. At this point, he's probably the third option at at what we would call a wing at Bayern Munich, but Maybe the fourth option is an attacking midfielder. I don't know if that's going to to really fly with him. I think he's too talented, like I would say about Sabitzer or Tolisso, too talented to be a bench player at this stage of his career. And I would say that about Tolisso and Sabitzer as well. They're all, all three of those players are too talented to be sitting on the bench. They're too young to be sitting on the bench consistently. So hopefully this all does come together. Hopefully that everyone... On the sporting side and everyone, the coaching staff can put together a concrete plan for how to move forward. And if they do, I do have some doubts about the futures of Sabitzer, Tolisso and Serge Gnabry at this point. So that is uh, the five things we learned this week. It's kind of crazy because those are all huge, huge stories for Bayern Munich. And they will have a trickle down effect to what happens in the future, not just on the pitch, but off of it. So this will definitely Oh, this will definitely be a group of stories that we follow and watch evolve moving forward. The final thing that I'll hit on today was, and I'll keep this brief because we've 
we've carried this on pretty long as it is. Uh, I did finish up the book of Boba Fett and I, I did see some of the criticisms before I finished it. So there was a lot of talk that, oh, this, this, this series was just a setup for the next season of the Mandalorian or, you know, what was the point of this? It didn't really progress to really show us much about where this story can go. I kind of disagree with that. I kind of, I enjoyed it. Listen, was it as good as the Mandalorian? I don't think so, but I still thought it was good. And I'm not one of those people who like star Wars and will do anything but criticize it. I'm also not one of the, you know, comic book guy kind of people from the Simpsons where I'm going to overly critique everything. I look at kind of the entertainment value of everything and uh, try and assess it as a one-off, right? Like I, like I love the character comic book guy from the Simpsons because he just <laughs> drills everything. It's so typical of so many people I've met over the course of my life, right? But, and that's, why that's what makes the, the character so great. And I, and I do appreciate those people because I love hearing them debate and break down things, especially Star Wars. But for me, I enjoyed the book of Boba Fett. I thought it was a good story. I thought it had good and interesting characters. And yes, it did have some of the storytelling tropes that we've seen in the Mandalorian, where it seems like every, the start of every episode kind of sets up some backstory. It kind of sets where the overall story is going. And then we fall into almost a sitcom type of category where there is a one-off event that the main character has to be involved in some kind of problem they have to solve. And then in the start of the next episode, they're back to progressing the story. It has become a formula for these Star Wars shows. And while I might not be a total fan of the formula, it it has worked so far for me. So I've been engaged with The Mandalorian. I've been engaged and entertained by the book of Boba Fett. So while that kind of storytelling makes things a little too predictable for me, I have enjoyed both of the series. I think the book of Boba Fett was well done. The acting is what you would expect in a Star Star Wars series. Some good, some bad, but overall holds it together. I thought the storyline, the most important thing of anything, was was well done. And and I don't get the a lot of the heavy criticism I've seen on it. Um, like I said, I, I'm not I was not a fan of the uh Star Wars sequels. Okay. I was a more of a fan of the one-offs, right? So uh Rogue One, phenomenal, excellent all of the sequels of star Wars, not a fan. And it's not because I'm like, you know, one of these hardcore comic book guy people. (laughs) It's because I thought the story sucked. I thought they made no sense. And while I enjoyed Daisy Ridley and I enjoyed those, some of the characters, the storylines were terrible. And I think it kind of, you know, took a lot of the luster off star Wars for me anyway, but back to the book of Boba Fett, enjoyable. If you like star Wars, I think you'll enjoy it. The funny part to me is that we did always hear about how, tough Boba Fett was and he was this feared bounty hunter he got his ass kicked a lot in the show which to me was kind of one of the funny things but it doesn't take it away from him because we have to remember at this stage of his uh Star Wars career Boba Fett is, is aging and hey you can't be an ass kicker your whole life eventually you have to you have to take a step back and get your ass kicked a few times yourself so highly recommend it if you're a Star Wars fan if you are not a Star Wars fan you probably want to go back and start with the original trilogy and, and work your way up to these kind of things. Uh, I really do wish there was more thought put together on how Star Wars would have produced the prequels, how they would have produced the sequels 
and how they really could have all tied together a much better story using this new streaming format that has really, I think, helped bump and complement the existing Star Wars storylines. I mean, hell, I think if there was streaming back in the day, we would have never even seen Star Wars movies. They would have just been a series of, of shows. So, uh, you know, it's just interesting to see how time has affected all of that. And after all these years, that there still can be entertaining and what I would say, well put together series on Star Wars after all these years. So entertained, recommend it to you. Um, so check it out if you are a Star Wars fan. And that will definitely wrap us up for this week. Uh, listen, enjoy the Eintracht Frankfurt match. I think it should be a good one. I'm expecting a Bayern Munich win, as you heard me say on the preview show, which probably isn't a surprise. I tend to have an optimistic view on, on Bayern Munich's matches, but uh, this should be a good weekend for that. And, uh, you know, stay safe, enjoy the match, have a couple of beers on me. And uh, as always, you can get me on Twitter at the barrel blog. You can get our site at Bavarian FB works. You can get Tom at Tommy Adam 71. You can get, I need no name at BFW and you can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. So hit us all up, check our site. We'll have all of the great coverage of the match, all of the craziest news stories, except for that Javi Martinez dong story. We will not be, we will not be doing a post on that. There will be no Bavarian dong work. So sorry to disappoint you all on that one, but enjoy your weekend and we will see you next time.